TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as always, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing, also wearing his NX01 cap today to go with my NX02. Matthew, how's everything going? It's going well, Chris. Uh, you know, I'm excited that we're going to explore a new civilization, a new world today. Uh, boldly going back to the past. Exactly. Back to the past. Well, it looks like you are all set up for today's podcast. And I dropped by the shop and I bought a new mic for this recording, but it Tuployo Pludak. I'm I'm sorry? Tuployo Pludak. Hold hold on one second, Chris. Let let Tier? Just hold on one sec. Okay, try now. And I think that maybe this one's gonna work pretty well today. Okay, uh, that's much better. Okay, shoo, I, I'm relieved, Matthew, because I was afraid you were about to kiss me, and I'd rather just jump right on into our discussion of civilization. I think that's a good point. I, let's do that. <laughs> All right. So yeah, today we're going to talk about civilization as we continue our Enterprise 20th anniversary rewatch. Here's a quick recap of the episode. In their first encounter with an Earth-like planet that is home to a full-fledged pre-warp civilization, the crew of the Enterprise NX-01 faces a situation tailor-made for the Prime Directive. Excited to explore an alien world and society that reminds them of their own roots, the crew pioneers the trademarked Starfleet plastic surgery and heads down to the surface undercover, but they find themselves in the middle of an alien infiltration that puts their morals to the test and delivers a story worthy of the original series. So, Matthew, why don't we jump right into the very beginning of this episode and how it captures the pure excitement of deep space exploration for our crew. Yeah, I really enjoy about this episode uh, just the way in which one of the things I'm most struck by is how at the beginning of the episode, this has become a routine for them. And it's such a routine, and you can almost tell that they've been out in space maybe for a few weeks since something really interesting has happened. And they all decide to play a little trick here on Archer with, you know, what's look what looks interesting. And and I think this is really funny because, you know, obviously even T'Pol is playing along with them here at this point, which is also fun. And this just makes a lot of sense and it also helps to understand you know why they would be so excited about this especially when they realize that this is a society that mirrors our own in some ways but gives them an opportunity to kind of peer into the past in a way that you know obviously you could never do unless you learned how to time travel which you know the vulcan directorate does not believe in time travel at this moment so i think that's what makes this episode really exciting is that it does feel like you can understand what the excitement for these people is and exactly why they would be so uh ready to just dive right in and and try and go and experience this civilization right Yeah, I mean, they've been out there for a while now, and they're just running across, you know, we had the 
uninhabited planet in Strange New World. And we met the Terra Novans, which was an Earth colony, and they've had a few encounters in space, ship to ship. But this being the first time that they find a planet with so many life forms on it, you know, intelligent life forms, so many humanoids on it. And then when they see that they look almost like us, Archer gets excited. Trip notices, oh, looks like an old clipper ship. He wants to get down there. There's so many languages being spoken. So Hoshi is excited. It's just, yeah, like this is what we're out here for. And finally, we're going to get to go down to a planet. And that's where we get into the prime directive talk in this episode And we finally really address something that's at the heart of Star Trek. We always talk about the Prime Directive in later series, and it gets hinted at along the way here in Enterprise. And there have been those moments already where, you know, situations raise the question of how much should we get involved in something. But here, T'Pol really states very clearly that there are guidelines for dealing with this kind of situation. And maybe humans should think about those as well. So what did you think about that situation and how that helps move us along here Mm -hmm. on the Star Trek timeline? Yeah, one of the things I thought was really actually very fun was the way in which T'Pol references past human experiences to help the crew understand, Mm -hmm. like the idea of like abductions, you know, alien abductions. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, which, you know, has just happened as a Klingon landed in a cornfield in, you know, oh, right. uh, Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that was really, really fun. But at the same time, obviously, you know, this is not necessarily something that humans have had a ton of thought about as to what it would be like to meet an alien species that seemed sufficiently advanced so that it almost felt like magic. And what the impact would be, you know, and, and I think obviously it is in a more lighthearted way, but the, the beautiful part about the episode is that we get the opportunity to see what contamination is like on a bunch of different levels and allowing Archer and his crew to experience this where another alien species has gone down and has completely disregarded any of the issues around being in this culture and what it could be like to harm them and care so little about them, I think is is really helpful for the episode. And so it makes the experience and the journey that they go on here really worthwhile for the crew. And I think it does also make for just a fun episode when you think about the like pure excitement of of exploration, you know, there is the fun of kind of going back in time and kind of seeing a much less advanced civilization reminding us of our our own kind of the Renaissance era. Yeah. And those kind of things. So I think all of that to me just works together really well and, and creates another stepping stone here in this first season of what these characters are continuing to learn each and every week about what it means to be out here. And I think more importantly, the responsibility they have, especially for those cultures that they run across that are not as advanced as them. Mm -hmm. You know, what, 
are their responsibilities towards them because they have immense responsibilities towards them to not influence their development. Right. Yeah. To not influence. It's interesting how the prime directive evolves in this episode because at first when T'Pol's talking about it, she's really talking about don't go down to the planet. We can gather information here from orbit, from using our sensors, and there's no need to go down there. And all they're thinking about is disguising themselves and going down, looking around for a little while and coming back. So that's the first question. Should you even go down to the planet? Does the prime directive, as we will come to know it, apply in that situation? But once they're down there and they find out about this disease, as humans, they naturally want to help the people. And then when they find out that there is an alien race that is doing something on the planet and it's making the the locals sick, then not only do they want to help the locals, but they also want to get the aliens off the planet. So right. there's like direct intervention. And so that's definitely influencing the development of this civilization. Now, of course, the Malurians being there are also affecting the development of the situation. But from the human's perspective, that's something completely separate. So then there comes the question of should you get involved or mm -hmm. not? And we're already seeing what we see pretty much throughout Star Trek, unless it's convenient for the story, which is that the prime directive gets set aside so that humans can help rescue mm -hmm. another well, culture. I mean, and, and in this, you know, there is no prime directive yet. So right. I think it makes a little bit more sense for us to be a little less worried about that. But obviously this whole story is created to give these characters an inkling as to the type of rules that they are going to need to think about right. as they yeah. progress in space and what kind of directives they are going to have to make for themselves in direct correlation with their responsibility of being out here. That That is what makes the episode really interesting. And it does make sense that Archer does want to get involved in this and in, in finding out that there are these mm -hmm. other aliens there that are influencing these people and killing them indiscriminately, as we find out, because they have absolutely no care for what they do to these aliens. Oh, it's only a few thousand. Who cares? You know, nobody will miss them instead of treating all life as sacred mm -hmm. uh, as we we see our Starfleet characters do, regardless of who they are. And so I think that's another really interesting thing because it is a moral conundrum do would we just leave them here or should we, you know, intervene and save them and do it in a way that we keep ourselves hidden? But at the same time, yeah. we're not just going to let these people suffer and die when right. we could do something about it. Now, there are humans in the world today, even, who would just let them die. And this is where I think that when we ask the question of, is Archer the right person to be the captain of the first Warp 5 vessel? And we've already seen him question that himself in Terra Nova. I think the answer is definitely yes, because he's very compassionate. He really wants to help people if humanity is going to put its best foot forward in these first contact situations. I think he's the ideal human to be leading the charge because... 
whether his intervention is correct in the eyes of the Vulcans, or even if we kind of look at it from a distance and think, hmm, should humans always charge in and help people? You know, I think back to, we talk about the cleanup ship in the original series that follows the Enterprise around to fix the problems that Kirk creates after he solves some other problem. You know, we jokingly talk about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes when humans intervene, maybe it doesn't always fix the problems and maybe they shouldn't, but at least it's done through the desire to help other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that Archer really embodies that aspect of of humanity and really makes him the ideal captain. Well, I also think too, you know, it it is not as though he just kind of charges in where angels sphere to tread and, and lets everybody know who he is and, and the crew, I'll try to do this as stealthily as possible yeah. um, to leave as little a footprint as possible here on this world. And and of course, they just happen to run across the one person, you know, who would be totally OK with knowing who they are and, <laughs> well, and, and it not have any impact on really. So it's like the episode um, first I mean, contact convenient. in the next generation, right? Riker yeah. happens to yeah. meet the one person on the planet that's going to be cool with this. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, man, he's just cool with it. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I mean, obviously that's just a convenience and a contrivance for the story. But, you know, and oh, honestly, you don't really have too much of an issue with it. And I think what it does is it gives us the opportunity to have an interesting perspective of somebody who has noticed that there's somebody on their planet that doesn't belong there and mm-hmm. somebody being willing to then help correct that with them and for them. And, and I think... Obviously, it's it's quite nice because what we see with Archer is that he creates a good impression on Rand. Yeah, right. right. Like he creates a great impression that no, there are will there are people there that are willing to benefit you. The people that are out there, not all of them are evil and wanting to harm you. No, there are some that just want to know who you are. I mean, literally, that's what Archer says. Oh, we just. I mean, we just came to meet you guys. Like, right. Not you specifically. I mean, not you specifically. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Although, but, in uh, retrospect, I think he's thinking, maybe I did come to meet you specifically. Yeah, I mean, you know, they seem to get along pretty <laughs> they well. They seem to hit so. it off pretty well. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's good points. I mentioned Kirk in the original series. And to move on to another topic, once again, I think that they did a really nice job of capturing the spirit of the original series and the feeling of the original series in a modern way in this episode. The planet, when they go down, I could easily see Kirk and Spock and Bones going down to this environment and solving this problem. Mm -hmm. And the look of the town, it reminds me of on the original series how so many of the episodes are, the theme of the episode is based on what existing props or sets do we have from other productions that we can use to save money mm-hmm. and make a story out of this? And this feels like, okay, we're, we're going to go down. We've got this old town and we've got this old, you know, apothecary. Uh, we, we, we can do something here. We can make a story out of this. And then going into the caves and even like the walls of the, the cave they feel fake, like the original series set. It almost feels like they are intentionally made to feel that way for the atmosphere of the episode, at least to me. 
and the device that's being used to extract this isotope that's causing the the problems looks like something you might see in the original series and that look and feel is i really love how they they brought that to life in this episode yeah i couldn't agree with you more and i think it's a really smart thing um throughout the series how much uh, in the you know first season they are kind of mirroring a lot of things that you would see in the original series and it it just fits really well and you know i think this whole episode of one classic tos playing with the prime directive two uh intervening where maybe you're Maybe or maybe not. You shouldn't, you know, like those those moral questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at, at the same time, to kind of finding your person on that planet that you can trust and that can help you and can partner with you and fixing the wrong that's being done to these people. I think all of that's fantastic. And and I mean, in some ways, I, I think you know this episode allows Archer to kind of spread his wings as a character and get a chance to be more involved in the story and of course kiss the girl um which classic star trek um captain thing to do um uh, everyone from kirk to to archer now to even janeway uh, Janeway. Yeah. yeah so i mean you know a lot of captains you know it happens so it's just part of the being it's the perks of being a captain i liked when the Universal translators stopped working, as we demonstrated at the beginning of the podcast today. And Archer kisses her mm-hmm. so that someone walking by won't see them. Because that felt like people always talk about Kirk in the original series and how, oh, he makes out with every girl, every alien girl he finds. But if you actually pay attention, most of the time he's doing it because it's part of saving the crew or saving the ship or something. He's not just running around finding alien girls and kissing them. So here was another situation mm-hmm. where Archer is kissing her because the UT stopped working for a moment. But then at the end of the episode, he legitimately kisses her because, as we said, right. they've hit it off so well. Uh, and we've seen that happen in Star Trek as well. So you get a little bit of both in the kiss department here in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, I mean, again, I think it does feel kind of like classic Star Trek in in this way. And um, I think uh, it's a lot less cringy, you know, than kissing a hologram that you've fallen in love with, that you change their height, um, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, I, I think the, the, the part of this episode that's fun is that it's fun, mm-hmm. you know. And part of that, I think, is the, is it's, the way in which it mirrors many of the TOS episodes. And so, and one of the things that you had mentioned on the outline that I totally forgot was that this is also a sly reference to TOS itself. Yeah. 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 It's cool. We, in the changeling, which is the episode where nomad comes aboard and Uhura loses all her memories and abilities. We find out just in passing that nomad wiped out the Malurian civilization. So it's just a reference, right? And so here we actually get to meet the Malurians and find out who they are. So that's just a, a fun little TOS connection there. And beyond TOS, to me, it also felt like a V connection because the Malurians are actually lizard people who have disguised themselves to look human. Mm-hmm. So that's a fun little uh, bit there on the side. 
Yeah, I, I think it's great. Well, speaking of disguising yourself, let's talk about going undercover for the first time. This is the first time on the timeline that we see a doctor. I was going to say a Starfleet doctor, but it's not technically Starfleet yet. But anyway, a doctor aboard the ship perform cosmetic surgery on a crew member to make them appear to be an alien from a planet that they're going to visit. And so we get that here initially with Hoshi. It was fun to see. And also I like Archer's comment about, we don't want this to look too perfect because Phlox was going to fix it so it's perfectly symmetrical. But of course we know in in reality, uh, people are all different. And so probably unless Hoshi was going to be a supermodel on this planet, she might not have those perfectly symmetrical little uh, head ridges or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call them. What I really loved about this episode was, I mean, it's not even really cosmetic surgery. Basically, they're just giving them the same appliances. Yeah, well, right, right. They right. Put, yeah, <laughs> I, that, that's what makes it so great here is that we're, it, it's such a subtle, like, wink. To yeah. the camera, like it's very yeah. subtle, but like, oh yeah, we're just we're just putting them the same, you know, yeah. uh, type of appliances we actually use to create our alien species at the forehead of the week, right? Um, and, and these so are easy. That ones. was really fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so and, this raises a question for me: Should Linda Park have gotten paid for playing Hoshi, and then also gotten paid for being an extra in this episode? That's a great <laughs> question. It's a great question. I don't know what the Screen Actors Guild has to say about that, but what the union has to say. But I'm just thinking, you know, she she actually became another species for a little while. So, mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah, it's very true. It's 100% true. Maybe some bonus so, no, pay is due thought. right there. <laughs> but I, I thought it was fun to see them do this for the first time because it happens so often in Star Trek later on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, us as Niners... <laughs> Eventually, it gets very complex, like when Cisco and O'Brien, they all go for oh, yeah. the undercover as Klingons. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, this, I mean, this gets way more complex than actual plastic surgery we're talking right. about, uh, you know. Um, thankfully, seems to be much easier <laughs> than, uh, than it is uh, here. But I just really thought it was clever he, uh, to, to allow them to do this and... I thought one of the fun things about this episode is when Archer's like, yeah, tell the quartermaster we need like three more outfits, you know? So there's basically somebody there who's sewing these costumes that they need, you know, (laughs) which is either that or do they have some sort of like matter replicator type thing that can help create these types of, of garments the way they do with the food synthesizer type thing? I have no idea, but just the thought that that's one of the jobs the quartermaster just cracks me up talk about being an interesting cue right (laughs) do they also give them like exploding lint and those kind of things as well (laughs) it is like a reference to the original series where there's always someone with a specialized skill on the ship when you need them for that story you know like there's the ship's chief meteorologist or the ship's chief historian or the, mm-hmm. sh- the ship's chief tailor in this case. And yeah, I do imagine that there is a room somewhere on the ship, like there's cetacean ops on the ships, right? There's like a, <laughs> there's like tailoring ops where 
there's just a group, there's a team of like four or five officers back there that just sewing all day, creating mm-hmm. whatever costumes they need. In this yep. time period, yeah, you might need that. You've got chef, you've got a kitchen, a real kitchen. So why not have a real tailor as well? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely makes sense to me. So. <laughs> Which makes me think they have to pull up images and like in this case, they're probably going through old Shakespeare plays and then they're like sending the pictures yeah, down to the, the guy. it's the original cosplay. Right. And they're like, could you make us three outfits that look like this? I need them in 10 minutes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, speaking of other things that we see popping up and evolving, we've been talking about tech in each episode of Warp 5 recently and Here we get to see the Universal Translator a little bit more. We've already talked about it a couple of times here. It raised a few questions for me, though, because at the beginning of the episode, Hoshi detects that there are so many languages being spoken on the planet. And then they beam down, and Archer does make this reference because Hoshi says, oh, why do I have to be the... Do you think I'm the right one for this? And he says, well, if the UT goes down you'll be the best equipped to handle yourself because of the languages. But then they all go down and then Archer is able to communicate with no problem. And then we find out that, yeah, he's doing it because the universal translator is doing it for him. And then that goes down for a little while, but it just started making me think like, how is this working? Because if we think back to episodes like the Andorian incident, they're not obviously using universal translator to talk to the Andorians. Like they don't mm-hmm. make a thing out of it. And as you mentioned before we hit record, the communicator maybe is just doing this all the time, but just, Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about how it works because I can think about how the universal translator works later in the timeline. I understand you feed it enough languages and it's able to analyze the structure of languages. And unless it's something really bizarre, like the Tholian language, it can probably pretty quickly build some kind of matrix, you know, to work fairly well. But here they've only encountered a few aliens. And maybe, maybe Mm. if the Vulcans were feeling nice that day, tapped into the Vulcan database of languages. Yeah, I was, I'm right there with you in that question, because I think it's a good one. And I, I do think maybe here we get Hoshi pinpointing that area and pulling enough language so that the universal translator can start to pick it up. And so it's working for this this uh, specific, you know, town they're going to be in. But I mean, to me, the, the thing that I keep wondering, because you, when you brought this up, I was thinking to myself, do they have like a little like spot in their ear that's right. basically yeah. giving them, yeah. you know, because... You have the communicator even on your your chest in the other Star Trek, um, right? Yeah, or with just the communicator like in TOS, you would have to have something in your ear because otherwise it would just be this weird loud. Like they would hear, right? You know, like yeah. so. How it all works is it? I mean, I would say it's probably the biggest contrivance in Star Trek when I'm actually thinking about it. How right. dumb it is because it yeah. doesn't actually really. I don't know if it, like, I don't, I don't know. Do you just both hear what you're supposed to hear and never know the difference? Well, well, that's how it's portrayed, but technically I don't know how that would work. And so right, exactly, it's a wonderful device for storytelling because mm-hmm. again, as people know from watching the first season of Star Trek Discovery, 
yeah, it's cool and maybe realistic to have the Klingons just speaking Klingon all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's not fun to watch. Certainly not after the first few no, minutes when the novelty wears <laughs> off, you know. And so for storytelling, yeah, you want things to work the way that we see them work. In reality, there has to be something more to it. The technical side, you know, building a device that can on the fly interpret mm-hmm. languages so that each person hears their native language and it sounds accurate. Give us a couple of hundred years. And yeah, I think that's perfectly plausible technology because already today we mm-hmm. have apps that can do this, especially with closely related languages like English and German. But everyone hears everything, right? Coming out of the phone or the tablet. So I, I don't know, mm-hmm. yeah, how it would work. And maybe we we can do a whole episode about that sometime. But it just it was just interesting in this episode because Again, you know, we talk about how different things in here are little nods to Star Trek, you know, like putting the the head ridges on Hoshi as a nod to, yeah, we just slap some prosthetics on actors mm-hmm. and we make aliens out of them. And here again, it's sort of like, yeah, we just all kind of talk to each other the moment we meet yep. and we understand each other. Uh, yeah, 100%. It, it, yeah. it doesn't necessarily make sense when you break it all down right but it's also a tv show so right. it's like one of those things where i'm like i'm totally okay with letting it go oh yeah i mean it doesn't it not only does it not bother me at all I, i'm glad it works that way because that's what you need to do to tell the story and get to the yeah. points that we care about uh, it just stood out to me in this episode because they actually make some references to yes. it and they have a moment where it stops working and then it really makes you wonder hmm how does this technology work and how did it evolve over time? All yeah. right. Well, anyway, thanks to the Universal Translator being available to them, the crew are able to save the people on the planet and get rid of the Malurians. And they didn't heed Paul's warning in the beginning. They didn't stay away. They went down and they saved lives because of it. And now at least one person on the planet is aware of the fact that there is alien life out there. So do you think they did the right thing, saving those in need? Or should, at this point, humans be a little bit more cautious about mm-hmm. rushing in to do things on planets that they've never visited before? I mean, I definitely think that they are going to be more cautious in the future. I think that's the beauty of this episode is it, it it is a learning experience for them. And I think that is good. And part of that of, of learning is making mistakes and, and hopefully overcoming them in the future. And I think that's what makes Star Trek so interesting is, is that it gives us the opportunity to be able to kind of talk about these things and learn about these things in this way and think about different ideas uh, as we watch the shows. What's so fun about Enterprise, I think, is that we're we're doing that with the characters here. We're getting an opportunity to watch them come to understand the world mm-hmm. and how it works. And I think that's what's kind of fun about it. Yeah, and that's what makes the story... I think, important to the development of the series, Mm -hmm. the concept of Enterprise. And that book that we've talked about before, the Beyond the Final Frontier book, 
unofficial guide to the series. Their comments about this episode were, it feels like a Riker episode of The Next Generation, which, yeah, I would agree I've already referenced. You know, it feels like First Contact. Mm-hmm. But they also say the story doesn't amount to much, which is what they they tend to say about stories. But again, I think they're wrong there because it does amount to something. It amounts to, as you're describing, humans learning how to function in space. It's the evolution of the prime directive. It's them just starting to realize, as we've talked about, that they're going to need to set some kind of guidelines and boundaries for themselves about how they deal with the people that they meet. And they're also Mm -hmm. learning that actions that to them may seem harmless and are done with good intentions could potentially create problems for other people. And so they really need to think about that a little bit more. And so... Yeah, maybe it's not like a a huge outcome to the story, but as a piece of a story, bit by bit by bit, learning, evolving, I think that it mm-hmm. does amount to something. Yeah. No, I I mean, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, and I think that's what uh, makes the episode work. I feel like, especially at the time that this episode aired, I think Star Trek fandom really wanted these types of capsule stories where you can watch it and you can just pick out different things about the story that have meaning or or mm-hmm. continue to build the texture of the yep. Star Trek universe instead of every episode having to to be something huge. So I'm right. Well and it makes sense. I mean, for these characters, they are specifically going out and hopping from place to place. You know, they are on, they're moving outward. And as they move outward, you know, they're going to continue to run into people. And I think that's what, it makes sense for the story to work like this, so. Well, I think we've covered pretty much everything in this story that we need to talk about today. (laughs) Maybe one of these days we'll do our dedicated Universal Translator episode. (laughs) There's so much to talk about there. Um, but you have any final thoughts here on the Malurian incursion and Archer's rescue of his beloved scientist? Yeah, you know, I think this is uh, another fun episode. Um, I think that for myself, I would I would probably rate this like three and a half out of five stars. You know, I think it's above average episode. And at the same time, I don't think it's the best episode of season one, but I enjoy watching it. And it's not an episode I I would skip on a rewatch or something because I think it's just terrible or something like that. No, I really enjoy this episode. I, I love what it does for the crew to give them something exciting to do, um, to experience, to watch Archer's experience, and just to watch the growth of the timeline and the sense of what these characters are having to think about. And I think that makes it enjoyable. So no, I really, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have anything bad to say about civilization. Yeah. Nothing bad to say. Yeah. It's to me, it's interesting, as I said, as a kind of modern take on the original series, aesthetic and storytelling and I love the very subtle connections to the original series. And the story itself 
is maybe it's fairly pedestrian story, but I still find it interesting to watch. And one other thing I was thinking about earlier when we were talking is there's all this talk in here about alien abductions and aliens landing in cornfields, and it's a kind of sparsely populated area, this type of thing. And I was thinking there's the scene where we see them take the boxes out and then pull them up to the little ship using a tractor mm-hmm. beam, which is very reminiscent of like cows being pulled up into UFOs yes, in, our, yep. in our own UFO mythology. And I loved that visual. And then I was thinking that the operation here is so small scale that aliens could come to Earth today and probably set this up somewhere and do it for quite a while without anybody noticing, really, because it mm-hmm. it really is a small scale thing that's going on. It, it's not an invasion. It's just like some people decided, hey, we can mine this isotope from this planet for a little while. Mm-hmm. And and actually, their intention was to do it completely undercover anyway. I, they didn't have any intention right. of harming the locals, really. But once they found out they were harming them, they also didn't care. Right. So, anyway, I think I'm going to give this story, this episode, six undercover lizard people. Nice. Well, we would love to hear your thoughts on civilization. If you'd like to share those with us, there are many ways to do that. The best way to chat with us and fellow listeners is to go to the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. If you're already a member, you know all about it. And if you're not, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field, and it should come up. If not, just type the Babel Conference. You'll find a post for this episode there on the timeline when we put it up, and you can share your comments there. And again, if you're not yet a member, it is a closed group. So to join, you'll be asked a few questions, and you need to agree to the rules of the forum. Please answer the questions and agree to the rules so that I can let you in. You can also send us email if you like. Go to our website, trek.fm slash contact. Use the form there and choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5. And that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And you can also find us on Twitter where our username is trekfm. Now, Matthew, when you're not uh, looking for aliens in distress to rescue, where can people find you? Oh, well, uh, when I'm not doing that, you could find me on social media under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. Uh, so, uh, you know, follow me uh, there. I'd love to hear about your thoughts on uh, Enterprise, anything else that's going on. Uh, of course, you could also find me here on the network on the 602 Club, which is our whole other side of the network where we're talking about things that are not Star Trek related. We love doing that. And uh, of course, not only is there the 602 Club, but in that same feed, you'll find some bonus shows. One's called Snyder Cuts. The other's called Assembling Avengers. So we've got some great stuff coming out for you on that side of the network. And then, of course, doing Literary Treks, um, which is books of comics of Star Trek. And then, Chris, you and I do The Orb, where we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then on the Nerd Party Network, got a couple of shows. One's finished. Uh, it's called Owl Post. I did that with Drea Kaufman. We talked about Harry Potter the whole series one chapter at a time and then i do aggressive negotiations with my good friend john mills as we talk about star wars every week but chris when you're not uh hitting up the quartermaster for a new cosplay outfit where can people find you yeah i need those you know because there's going to be some conventions coming up here pretty soon i think and i need to dress up for those but when i'm not getting ready for that you can find me here on the network as you mentioned talking ds9 with you on the orb 
books and comics on literary treks, and then Interphase, the Star Trek Universe podcast. And then also Larry Nemechek and I, we just recorded a new episode of The Ready Room recently, which will be out soon, where we're looking back at the first two seasons of Lower Decks. So watch for that if you're a fan of Lower Decks. And otherwise, I'm busy with my magazine and other work as always. If you'd like to chat Star Trek or anything with me, I'd love to talk to you. Twitter's where I'm most active. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere in social media. But again, Twitter is where I'm most active. And if you'd like to help us keep everything going here on the network, we could really use your support through Patreon. If you'd like to find out how to support the network, please visit patreon.com slash trekfm to find out how, become an associate producer, get involved in other ways. We would love to have your help. And I'd like to say thank you very, very much to everyone who is supporting us now. We really could not do this without you. Well, Matthew, I'm going to give you one week to get your Damjot game going because we've got Nausicans coming in next week as we talk about Fortunate Son. Chris, let's go. Let's go.